It's Wednesday, January 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, Bill Mann. Good to see you. How are you, my friend? Happy New Year. I'm as uh, as you know from the false start we just had. I'm not caffeinated enough. So uh, <laughs> when do you stop saying Happy New Year? I mean, obviously February is too late. I I think you get to like pretty soon, like in the next day or two. I yeah. think once you get to double digits in January, it's like okay, we've. Moved I felt on. like this was okay since this is my first time on yes. for the for the for yes. the New Year. So absolutely Happy New Year, everyone. But next week, don't pull this. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, we've got. Two very different announcements from the same company. We have a group of economists to consider, but we're going to start today with housing. Lennar, the number two home builder in the U.S., reported fourth quarter results. Profit and revenue both came in higher than expected. Lennar also bumped up their guidance for the number of homes it expects to deliver in 2020. This is a really good way to end the fiscal year. It's a boomer of a story. They were supposed to turn. They they were supposed to report expected to report about 6.5. Billion in in revenue, and they came in at about seven billion, which that's a lot more. I mean, for housing, that's a pretty predictable industry. So for them to come in that much higher, some of it has to do with the fact that you know interest rates have remained so low, and people are, you know, the the housing market has done really well. But Lennar made a great choice a couple years ago, and it's a really interesting study in you know in in corporate governance where they kind of leaned. Into the trend of people renting instead of buying, and said, "You know what? We're going to go back into low-priced and what we used to call starter homes. We're going to make that a core of our business." And not too many other home builders did that, and it's paying off in a huge way. So shares of Lennar are up about three percent this morning. You yeah. you look at this strong quarter, bumping up the guidance for 2020. I felt like the. Stock should have been up a little bit more, but it, no. it, it's had a pretty good run over the past twelve months. It's had an okay run. I mean, it's trading at a PE of less than ten, even after the run up. And one thing that is definitely true about home builders is that sometimes low PEs are not necessarily a signpost that the uh, that the stock is undervalued because a lot because it's such a cyclical industry, and I don't know. I don't know that people still trust that interest rates are going to remain low or that inflation is going to remain in check. I think people are still a little bit shell shocked from what happened a decade ago in this industry. But this is a well-run company, and and we in other areas have you know have have looked at this trend of low-cost housing and low-priced housing stock as well. We you know we've recommended a company called Legacy Housing, which is a very similar you know has a very similar strategy. So yeah, it was a great quarter, and the company's you know the company's running on all cylinders, but it. Yeah, but you're right. The stock didn't seem to react in a way that you might expect. Boeing shares down a bit this morning in the wake of the crash of Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752. Uh, minutes after taking off in Tehran, the 737 crashed, killing all 176 people on board. It's Obviously, terrible. Yeah. a terrible tragedy. Um, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, hey, a new crisis. 
Well, I was going to say, you know, this is not a 737 Max because they're all grounded. This is an older model, the 737-800. But this, to your point, this is yet another thing for for Boeing to have to respond to. Yeah. So uh, the grounding of the 737 Max and how Boeing handled that entire situation uh, has cost them about nine billion dollars in revenue so far. They were selling about 1.5 billion dollars in the 737 Maxes per month, and it cost. Dennis Mullenberg, the former CEO, his job. The 737-800 is a different beast. Um, according to AirSafe, which is a, you know, an organization that tracks uh, airline safety, you know, so it's a very well-named organization, the uh, 737-800 is amongst the world's safest planes. Uh, so, we don't know, as we're recording this, what has happened with the flight. Uh, the Iranian government came out immediately and said that it was an engine malfunction. Uh, the uh, Ukrainian embassy in Tehran came out very quickly and said that it was not terrorism, and then they pulled that report. Um, the Ukrainians, uh, the governments of France, Germany, and Netherlands are, have have uh, restricted their planes from flying in Iranian airspace uh, as a result of the crash. So we don't know. Uh, it's 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 you know obviously my first thought goes out to those affected because it's you know anytime you see something like this it's it's gut wrenching. But there are you know there are implications for you know for for Boeing as well and their new CEO is going to you know is going to have to address it. When you look at Boeing stock, um, which is close to a two-year low, um, I don't know. I, there's, I, I feel like there are still so many questions that it's yeah. not even something I want to put on my watch list. Even though I completely understand that um, a a reasonable outcome for this business and therefore for this stock is that. Twenty twenty is the year. All of these issues get resolved. Uh, the the maxes get back online. Uh, orders start bumping yeah. up, and in the next five years, this is a stock that's up fifty to seventy. Yeah, I hope it doesn't sound too crass to say that passenger deaths are a part of the business of making airliners. I mean, that's just airplanes do something that is you know that is bending the laws of physics and occasionally physics wins. Um, but given what happened with the 737 Max, they have billions of dollars of potential liability in suits from you know from uh, from passengers because it does seem like, and I'm not making a, a legal judgment here, that there's a case to be made that there was malfeasance or misfeasance or something of that nature on the part of Boeing. Boeing is still the one half of a duopoly, and in the long term, I think that you know I. I think that the stock is probably a pretty good bargain where it is here, but there are going to be plenty of uh, of, of questions in the near term. A couple of announcements from Luckin Coffee, uh, based in China. Uh, first, Luckin announced a secondary offering of stock, more than seven million shares. Uh, Luckin also announced it is expanding into vending machines to increase its market share in China. Yeah. Um, that appears to be the announcement that's driving the stock today, because shares of Luckin are up about six percent. Luckin is a really, really interesting company. They've come in and having traveled, you know, having spent as much time in in China and places where Starbucks has a pretty good footprint. I've always thought that there was room for a company to come in and to price its goods and price its coffee 
more in line with the you know with with the incomes of you know of the local market, and that's what Luckin has done. It has grown like wildfire, uh, seven thousand plus outlets, and the outlets aren't the same as like you would consider a Starbucks store. It's anything from a tiny pop up to a vending machine. Uh, they have done things very very efficiently and very intelligently. What could a move into vending machines do for their revenue? And uh, you know, I haven't uh, beyond sort of the broad announcement. I haven't seen numbers regarding like how many machines they're looking at. Like, is this something that could become a nice sort of small addition to the business, and could, if it works out, bump up revenue by single digits or 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 ten percent? Yeah. Or is this the kind of thing that could actually? Bump up revenue by somewhere in the neighborhood of 25-30%. Vending machines are a really interesting, you know, it's it's a very interesting cultural study. I mean, obviously, Japan and China are two different cultures in two different markets, but uh, Japan especially, Korea is the same, really throughout Asia, you see a much higher density and a much higher credibility of vending machines uh, than you do in the United States. You can buy you you can buy most anything out of a vending machine, uh, you know. Throughout Asia, China uh, is a little bit behind that curve, but it's certainly you know certainly there is a lot of hope that they will respond to those types of uh, you know those types of delivery and and commerce uh, markets as well through the form of vending machines. So I don't know the answer there, but you know but Luckin, a lot of Luckin's pop ups almost are you know it's almost like they're already vending machine plus. A guy, right? So, <laughs> so they they are they're pretty simple and pretty cheap to stand up. So I think that they're simply taking a you know a you know a, another step towards automation. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, before we get to the economists, um, uh, you were just in Australia with your family. Yeah. Um, how was the trip? Um, other than uh, certainly you 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 all made it back alive, which is great yeah. because uh, right before we started recording, you showed me a picture from one of the beaches you were at, <laughs> where the warning signs included. Uh, Essentially, watch out for crocodiles, saltwater crocodiles. Yeah, which I, I didn't know that was a thing. That's I, I for whatever reason that escaped my um, knowledge. That, yeah, uh, crocodiles come in two forms: freshwater and saltwater. And which really, if you think about it, that's all the water. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, Australia's uh, Australia's wildlife's reputation, you know, for being willing to kill you in a second. Really, a lot of people think of you know sharks being you know in the water in Australia and that being a big issue. And they are. And they are. They're not. They're not the super scary things. It's really the saltwater crocodiles, which you know, which just have been known to explode out of the water and and grab people on beaches and. That to me, I mean, that's terrifying. So the entire time that we were there, I, I kept a, a healthy dif- distance from the beach. I mean, not you know, I, I understand probabilities. Uh, I just am not really that interested in dying in that way. Say what you want about sharks; they tend to stay in the water. They, stay- <laughs> they don't come up. <laughs> they on are land. mostly they are mostly in the water. They don't jump up on shore uh, as often as, uh, as 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 you might think. Australia was, you know, Australia was was fantastic. We were there during the backdrop of, you know, of enormous horrific fires. fires. Horrific. Um, I will say that 
I, I say this a little bit gently because I don't want to. I, I, you know, I don't want to minimize what's happening there. But China, but uh, China, Australia is the size of the United States, and the area that's being affected by the fires uh, is a tiny percentage of the country. The entire country isn't on fire now because it's such a big country. The percentage, you know, a small percentage is still a huge amount of land, and it is a tragedy, and it's very sad. And you know, I've been looking for ways to, you know, to contribute to help. Um, but uh, you know, we didn't we didn't see that much from from the fires when we were there. Um, so you pointed out something yesterday. Ben Castleman, who uh, some listeners uh, may be familiar with, um, a business writer for the New York Times, fantastic writer, um, yeah. had uh, Ben had tweeted something out um, about uh, sort of how animals. Uh, when you're talking about a group of animals, there's usually a colorful word. What they call col- the collective noun. The for collective animals. noun. Yeah. So a school of fish. Uh, and so Ben Castleman <laughs> tweeted, "Fill in the blank: a pod of whales, a murder of crows." A blank of economists, <laughs> and I, I don't know what response he was expecting, but it was certainly bigger. He got two thousand responses, and some of them were unbelievable. And I, I have to say, I am completely fascinated and have always been by the collective nouns. Like for example, I love the fact that a collection of lobsters is called a risk of lobsters. Those claws, you got to watch out for them claws. <laughs> so uh, some of the answers that he got were fantastic. So he got an academic conference of economists, a bubble of economists, um, a disagreement of economists, which is you know which is which is dark, a, a confusion of economists. <laughs> okay. um, I, I, what do you got? I, I, so I like. I mean, I think if I were voting, I would have voted for a bubble. Um, just because that, I don't know, that just seems to fit. But the the overwhelming, and I'm sorry for anyone who's listening who actually is an economist, because unfortunately the winner by a pretty wide margin in the voting was a dismal, <sighs> a dismal of, of economists, which is, which you know, since it's called the dismal science, makes yeah, it makes some sense. I don't, I did, that wasn't my favorite. According yours? to according to James Lipton, who's the guy who wrote a book, a beautiful book called "An, An Exaltation of Larks." The real answer is a recession of economists. Nice. Um, I I don't think the hole I went down this morning on collective nouns was as deep as the hole you went down. But <laughs> but I did learn that um, there are different designations for different fish because the, you know a school of fish. I think most of us heard heard that when we were growing up. Yep. I didn't realize that when it comes to rainbow fish. The collective noun is a party, <laughs> a party so of rainbow good. fish, and that feels right to me. You know what sharks are? Uh, no, a shiver of sharks. Oh. <laughs> a congregation of alligators. <laughs> a parliament of owls. We could be here all day, my friends. We're not going to be there. <laughs> We're going to give people back their time. Bill, man. Always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>